Hi, this is Aaron Newcomb filling in for Randall Schwartz again on Floss Weekly. This week, Dan Lynch joins me to talk about the demise of all sorts of open source software, including Mono, OpenOffice, or now LibreOffice, and Skype. You're going to want to find out about these important software applications right now on Floss Weekly. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Aaron Newcomb and Dan Lynch, episode 165, recorded on May 11, 2011, The Demise of Floss. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about a business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. All right, welcome to Floss Weekly. Again, I am not Randall Schwartz. I'm still not Randall Schwartz. He's still away traveling, and so I'm filling in for him again. And uh, presenting with me today is Dan Lynch. Dan, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Ta-da. I'm not Randall Schwartz either, just for the record. <laughs> it <laughs> seems to be, a, seems to be a, a current thing now. You have to declare that you're not Randall Schwartz before you can say anything. Well, you know, um, I just want to make sure it's clear for those that uh, yeah, uh, are yeah. listening to the audio. You know, we sound an awful lot alike. Sometimes I do sound like Kermit the Frog, so uh, <laughs> just got to be, gotta be, gotta be careful. Make sure people know who's talking here. Uh, on Very today's cool. show, we've got something very special for you guys. Um, we're actually going to chat about some things that are going on in open source in lieu of having a guest today. Um, mm. We're going to go ahead and uh, take some of the uh, most current topics and chat back and forth, maybe take some questions from the chat room as well as we're going along, so we'll do that. Uh, but before we begin, um, anything going on in your world, Mr. Lynch? Anything interesting that you want to comment on? Uh, yeah, I, I, lots of things, um, open source-wise, I suppose. Um, I've been playing with the new Ubuntu release that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago, Ooh. 11.04, and they've now shifted away from GNOME to the the new Unity desktop, which is the uh, Unity interface, which is slightly different. So I've actually got a netbook running it here, so I might be able to give you a... I don't know if you'll be able to see my screen very well, but I could try and give you a bit of a demo of that later. So okay. I'm trying to get to grips with that and uh, maybe take a look. I haven't looked at GNOME 3 yet, but I'm interested in that because they're really shaking up the, the Linux desktop. It's going gonna, it's gonna to either make a lot of people very happy or a lot of people very mad. <laughs> I think right. we'll, we'll, time will tell on right. that. Well, I, I definitely want to talk about a few things that are going on as well in terms of... Uh, mm. my employer, Oracle. We'll talk a little bit about some of the things that they're doing as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I do want to remind everybody real quickly that I will be coming to um, Maker Fair. So if you're in the Bay Area and you want to head over to Maker Fair, I'll be there with my camera and my audio gear. I'll be taking doing some podcasts from there. So uh, that's what's going to be coming up uh, for me here in the next couple of weeks, coming up May 20. Uh, first, I believe, 21st and 22nd, Saturday and Sunday here in the Bay Area, San Mateo to be to be exact. So that's what's going on here. Now, before we jump into uh, our episode today, we have an ad, and we're going to be talking today about Netflix. So Netflix delivers movies directly to your home, saves you time, money, and hassle, of course. Um, and you can watch instantly thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed directly to your PC or Mac, which is great. 
um, or also stream to your TV via Netflix ready device since I run uh, primarily a Linux household that's how I get my Netflix um, is I just turn on my blu-ray player and stream uh, Netflix episodes uh, through the blu-ray player or through my Wii directly to my TV you can also run Netflix on Xbox 360 or PS3 um, and you can get DVDs by mail in about one business day. Netflix has really revolutionized the delivery mechanism for, for mail uh, through their many distribution centers and so forth. So they really get DVDs to you very, very quickly. You can watch as many movies as you want, um, anytime you want. There's never any late fees. There's never any dues. Uh, there's never any due dates, I should say. Um, today, I wanted to focus on um, some of the – I'm pretty big nostalgic for 80s stuff – and uh, I've got to say, I've got lots of um, uh, 80s uh, TV shows mostly in my queue. Um, so, for example, The Incredible Hulk is available um, on uh, for instant streaming as well as I have Airwolf in my queue. Um, Battlestar Galactica, the original series, if, you've, if you're a fan of the new series, if you've watched it and haven't seen the original Battlestar Galactica, I highly recommend uh, getting it on Netflix instant streaming. Um, and uh, checking that out because it really is a good one. Um, Buck Rogers in the 25th century um, <laughs> is Classic. in my instant queue, as well as the A-Team and V the miniseries. I could go on and on, but I got to save some uh, for the next time we uh, we run this ad. So, But, but all those 80s, uh, really cool 80s shows, a lot of them are on Netflix, and you can go check those out, um, and I highly recommend that you do. Um <clears throat> When you register for Netflix, when you go to Netflix to register, uh, you can get a free trial membership just by uh, going to netflix.com slash twit. Be sure to sign up for your free trial at netflix.com slash twit. And we thank Netflix for their support of Twit and Floss Weekly. Very exciting. Okay, let's get into our episode today. So what do you want to talk about first, Dan? Um, well, I, I, since you mentioned great 80s TV, I was, I was wanting to talk about that, but no, I think that's not really why we're here. Um, I was ashamed. You, I was worried you didn't mention Magnum PI there, but anyway. Oh, uh, you know what? That uh, actually was available now that we're out of the ad. Right. It was available yeah. for instant, and they, they took it off, and now you can just get the DVDs. In fact, I just watched, uh, I watched two Magnum PIs last night on DVD from Netflix, so... Excellent. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, so there's lots of stuff uh, going on at the moment that... Uh, we, we could uh, we could definitely talk about um, one of the big things that's uh, come up in the the open source world and in the tech world in general in the last uh, ooh, last six months to a year is the uh, the sale of Novell to uh, Attachmate who mm -hmm. um, people I mean I didn't know anything about Attachmate before this I, I don't know whether you did but uh, they certainly kind of came out of the blue to me anyway uh, although they have been around for quite a while and uh, there's lots of stuff going on there uh, obviously Novell not a, an inconsiderably sized company and uh, there's there's lots of uh, concern over what's going to happen with uh, lots of uh, you know lots of employees who are there and we had some news coming out of uh, Novell this week or sorry out of attachment I should say that uh, after coming out and saying that business would continue as usual for Novell um, they then turned around and sacked something like 800 employees or something, uh, worldwide, and including the guys who work on Mono. Um, and just in case anyone doesn't know, Mono is a free open source uh, implementation of the Microsoft.NET framework, which some of you will probably know if you're developers or you know, you, you've uh, been involved in that kind of thing, been around a long time, very popular. The C-sharp language is also very popular. And um, Miguel de Casa and, and some of the other great people who work at Novell 
have uh, been uh, have been making an implementation for other systems. So it runs on things like not only Linux, it runs on other Unix uh, Unix-like systems, and also things like the iPhone. They were targeting the iPhone and Android and and other things as well. And uh, yeah, the big news is this week that uh, they've basically, as far as we can see, they've all been kind of given their marching orders, which seems a little sad to me. Yeah, definitely. Now, I, I, they can still fork this. I mean, it it, it was an open source uh, uh, program, right? I mean, somebody can mm. fork this. Somebody else could pick up and hire these developers, right, and, and continue the effort. Yeah, it's under the GPL uh, v2, I think, GPL v2 uh, mono. So it's most certainly um, open source, free software, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think um, we, we had Miguel on our show, um, ooh, must be a year or two ago now, um, on Linux Outlaws. And um, when we talked to him then, he was the uh, vice president for development, I think, at Novell. So um, he was fairly high up. Um, I believe he's still there, but... Uh, He's still actually employed at the company at, at the moment, but um, not working on Mono anymore, which is which is a little sad. And uh, some of the there's been some strange reaction to this in the uh, in in the community because uh, Mono has been controversial because of its um, stemming from Microsoft's .NET and the worries about uh, patents and other threats that could be uh, could be on that. I mean, it's fairly certain that Microsoft will have a lot of patents on. Uh, on botnet that would that would that would make sense and the uh, c sharp which is the language uh, one of the popular languages in it and so on so lots of people um have traditionally been against mono in the uh, free software community and uh, it was quite sad to see a few people kind of cheering as uh, as as mono got axed or some of the mono developers got axed and uh, a good friend of mine uh, Bradley Kuhn from the Software Freedom Conservancy wrote an excellent blog post on this um, I'll give you the link to put in the the show notes where he was saying that um, basically it's not a victory for free software because the danger is that these people will um, you know will will get other jobs working on proprietary software which is a which is a loss to to the open source free software world. Um, so we'd like to keep these people involved. And there's some great developers there. And there's lots of key apps as well uh, in Mono, which is interesting. Uh, Banshee. Uh, I don't know if you've used Banshee. That's a very very popular media player on the Linux desktop, uh, and it's also available on the Mac and other platforms, I believe. Um, that's very very popular, and it's uh, it's all Mono based. Uh, it was uh, developed by Aaron Bockover, who then went to work for Novell and worked on it more for them. Um, who's just recently left uh, Novell, and uh, lots of people are worried about that because Banshee has become the default um, media player in the Linux desktop. Ubuntu recently moved to it, uh, lots of other people have moved to it, and now there's this kind of uncertainty over it. But again, it's it's an, it's under a, a, a GPL license, so um, it could be forked, as you say. So it, it may not be the end of it. It's just uh, it's a little sad that the, the kind of the sponsorship that was behind it has. Uh, has uh, filtered away a bit. Right. I know a while back there was high hopes that Mono would run Silverlight. That Mono, mm. and in fact, if Mono did run, I think Silverlight 1.0, but I don't think it moved to 2.0, mm. if I remember correctly. Maybe it did. Tra chat room can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I know that there were some yeah. hopes there in getting things like um, Netflix actually running on Linux if Mono would be able to implement Silverlight um, mm -hmm. because that's what requ is required for, for Netflix, for example. Um, to work properly is is Silverlight too. So um, I know there were some big hopes there as well. Um, yeah, and like you say, the license thing is I think the most interesting part of this because um, you know Microsoft had those deals with with Novell, which is uh, quite frankly why I stopped running SUSE at all. Um, <laughs> when that happened, I, I swore off SUSE 
Um, again, mm. maybe maybe that was unfortunate, but I just didn't want to support deals like that with with uh, proprietary mm. software. Um, but uh, but regardless, I think it's going to be interesting. Let's say let's say another company picked this up. Let's say Google or um, some other company picked this up. Uh, if they did not have those agreements, if those agreements did not carry over, those licensing agreements did not carry over, I think it would make it very hard for anyone to to want to continue to develop Mono, um, mm-hmm. just in light of the fact that they Microsoft may come back down the line sometime and uh, sue them out of existence. Yeah, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And the um, the other thing which uh, I'm I'm not very clear on, um, I, I should you know I should another disclaimer. I should say I know nothing. Not only am I not Randall Swartz, I'm also not a lawyer, and I don't know. I don't know the law, particularly in the U.S., but um, I think also there's trademark issues as well. I don't know if Mono is trademarked to Novell, which is a separate issue, um, which we were actually going to kind of get onto a bit later when we talk about LibreOffice and OpenOffice and so on. Um, I don't know whether the trademark Mono is is property of, of Novell and uh, Moonlight as well, which is the Silverlight equivalent that you were you were talking about there. Um, they, yeah, they were working on Moonlight and certain other things, and. Um, yeah, it's all it's all very very strange. Um, it, I find it really interesting that they came out and said uh, only very recently, uh, Attachmate came out and said business as usual for Novell, nothing to see here, move along, and uh, and then promptly went and changed everything. So um, I don't know. It's an interesting PR move, but they've moved uh, Sousa, uh, as I'm sure you will know, Aaron is is traditionally a a German uh, distribution. It was developed in uh, Nuremberg in Germany, and. Um, it was bought by Novell um, in the early 2000s, so mid 2000s, uh, and the, 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 uh, basically the deal is that uh, Attachmate are planning to spin off um, the SUSE Linux business as a separate business again, um, and uh, they're gonna they've switched base from uh, the US back to um, back to Germany again. So it's going to be a, a separate company, very much based in Germany again, and a lot of the core developers of uh, SUSE and OpenSUSE and so on are still based in Germany, so that kind of makes sense uh, for them to do that. But uh, it's ver- certainly a, a traumatic time for a lot of people who are involved in that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people who work at Novell who are very important as well. I, I'm, I would say anyway in the the Linux and and free software world, um, we have people like Greg Cohartman, who's the maintainer of the kernel Linux kernel staging tree. Yep. Um, and we have you know James Bottomley. Um, he you know looks after the SCSI subsystems and, and other things in the Linux kernel. Uh, he's a maintainer there, very important guy. And then you know I don't want to upset anyone by not naming them, but there's numerous important engineers there for Linux and and wider um, open source kind of uh, software. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that. I would imagine most of them won't have any trouble finding an alternative employer, as you say. But who knows? Right. Right. Also, you know, um, Novell. We talked about the the licensing issues with Mono, but I mean, Novell holds several licenses um, that are incredibly important to the Linux community in general, right? Um, mm. I, I believe they hold the the rights to Unix, right? Which was uh, um, a big deal a, a few years ago um, mm. with Sco and everything. So, uh, you know, I think it is really important that. Uh, the what happens to to all of Novell's holdings, as it were, um, is incredibly important for the Linux community, and I hope that Attachmate uh, makes wise use of those instead of uh, you know just letting them go like they seem to be doing with with Mono. So, mm. um, go ahead. Yeah, um, sorry. No, I was just going to say it's uh, it's a, it's obviously a big uh, big important thing that's going on, and Novell have got um, as you mentioned the. Uh, the Unix uh, copyright uh, trademark, I should say, um, which was a big deal in previous years when we had people like Sco and other uh, 
um, you know, other people trying to assert that uh, that they owned the Unix copyright and that in some way Linux was in violation of that. Um, a lot of people that I know who who kind of had involvement with the the um, the legal you know the legal cases and so on um, are not too worried about the the acquisition of Novell by Attachmate because they say that. Uh, that the case, SCO's case fell down because they were never able to prove that Linux is Unix or that there's any code from Unix in Linux because all of the, the Linux developers and so on would, would I'm sure, say that the code is their own and they never copied anything from, from uh, Unix. While they may have been inspired by, by Unix, they didn't actually copy any code. So therefore, I think SCO's case fell down on that. So fingers crossed um, that will keep us safe, but you can never be too sure. Right. Right. Um, well, there's certainly been similar things that have happened um, in history when acquisitions happen. Uh, one uh, example of that is actually Oracle, uh, Oracle's acquisition of Sun. Uh, before mm -hmm. we jump into the next topic, I have to say that the, uh, um, uh, the following opinions are my own and do not represent the opinions <laughs> of Oracle um, or any of its partners. Um, uh, because I do work for Oracle, but we're going to talk about some things now that uh, are related to Oracle. And uh, just suffice it to say, I'm not a company spokesman. So uh, mm. everything that we talk about is my own opinion from here on out in terms of uh, uh, as it relates to Oracle. Uh, but Oracle bought Sun and, um, uh, a while back, and, and there's been quite a bit of uh, um, uh, worrying going on in the open source community about what it would do with the many holdings of uh, uh, that came from Sun. Sun was the largest contributor to open source software uh, prior to the acquisition. Uh, they probably still are in terms of lines of code just because nobody else has caught up yet. But uh, uh, there's a lot of software there. One example of that, of course, is OpenOffice. Um, and recently, Oracle decided that uh, it was not going to continue uh, OpenOffice, um, uh, at least co the commercial development of the OpenOffice suite, um, and basically handed things over to LibreOffice. Um, mm. You know, there, there was a fork there, again, uh, the folks uh, that were in the open office community weren't happy with uh, with Oracle running that that particular software package. They forked it, and I think the community came out in a big way to support them. Um, and um, you know, when you think about it, it's not really in Oracle's um, um, the way that they do things. Typically, is 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 not aligned with the way that Open Office worked. Open Office was uh, free, as in beer. Um, as well as in freedom, so it was free on both both standpoints. They did have some support contracts, like, contracts, I guess, um, but it, uh, Oracle doesn't typically give away software. It's not really in their in their nature to give away software. So this was kind of something that was a little bit at odds with the way that Oracle does business. Um, and so you know what, I, I I think it's good. I think it's good that um, that LibreOffice doesn't necessarily have to compete with OpenOffice anymore. What do you think, Dan? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, this this is a really um, emotive issue for a lot of people, and uh, it's it's one I find a, a little sad in some ways. I mean, one of the big questions has been whether uh, I mean, whether I mentioned trademarks before in, in relation to Mono and Novell, um, the OpenOffice.org, uh, which is the full name of the software, OOO, is um, is trademarked to well, it was, was trademarked to Sun, now obviously owned by. By Oracle, and uh, the reason for the renaming to LibreOffice is because um, obviously they they don't own the name OpenOffice. And I know one of the things that the Document Foundation and the people who um, broke away, if you like, and, and kind of fought the project, are hoping is that they will be able to kind of reclaim the OpenOffice name in some way in future that that Oracle may 
uh, deem it, you know, um, you know, a good idea to, to kind of assign that over to them. I'm not sure that they will. Maybe this will affect that. If Oracle have decided they don't have an interest in in Open Office, then maybe they will relinquish the name back. Because uh, that that's it sounds like such a petty thing, but that's one of the things I think is really important because um, Open Office is is a it's one of um, People don't like me saying this, but it's one of the kind of the gateway drugs, I would say, of open right. source. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, I don't want to make that analogy too closely, but you know what I mean? It's the sort of, it's like Firefox. It's the sort of thing that people who don't know anything about open source software, never seen it, never heard of it, um, may use uh, along with things like VLC and, as I say, Firefox and so on. Uh, and they may end up using it and, and get to like it. And the sad thing is that uh, none of those people will will really realize that LibreOffice is a continuation of Oprah Office. They'll think there's another thing come out and where's OpenOffice gone? And there's a whole branding issue there, I think. Um, OpenOffice ha has become a very strong brand. Um, so I think, that, yeah, that, that's certainly important. But um, I think um, LibreOffice is, is looking promising. I've been doing a bit of reading up on this today. And uh, it seems that the, the Document Foundation, who are the, the, there was a group of German developers who were working on um, OpenOffice in the OpenOffice.org community who originally kind of moved away and started to set up the Document Foundation. Um, and I believe, I believe uh, from through my research that uh, it was actually Sun's intention when they open sourced, uh, when they very graciously open sourced uh, OpenOffice back in the early 2000s or so on, um, like 10 years ago or more, that they, they hoped eventually that it would be under the control of a foundation rather than a corporation. And there was lots of talk about the OpenOffice foundation. Um, so now we have a foundation in the Document Foundation, which is independent. And uh, they're actually hoping that it will increase uh, corporate input because, um, you know, competitors won't have to feel that they're improving. If it was owned by, say, Sun, it would be harder for another company to justify putting code into it while they might think they're improving their competitor's product and so on. There's a bit of a an ideological thing going on there. So there's that as well. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's very important that uh, it keeps going. There are some new features in LibreOffice 3.3, uh, I think is the latest version. There are some new features in there that aren't in previous versions of OpenOffice. So I think it is kind of moving forward, which is great to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting in the case of OpenOffice, it's actually, um, although I don't know the first one was a fork, but it's actually been been, it had multiple iterations um, in its past. I mean, it, the code originally came from the Star Office program, um, mm. which Sun acquired back in the day. I can't remember what year it was, um, uh, but I remember when Sun acquired that and then and then agreed to have this other version called Open Office. Mm. Uh, the community wanted it. Uh, I don't. I don't know all the history. I'll, I'll say that up front. But I do remember. I, I first it was Star Office and then Open Office and Star Office kind of kind of uh, Sun. Even even while I was at Sun. Over the past few years, um, Sun actually was 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 kind of while they were contributing code to OpenOffice, they were also uh, uh, had a different branch um, back into Star Office. We were still using Star Office uh, for a mm. long time, and uh, and then pretty much everything just went OpenOffice, and then of course Oracle took over. So it's just interesting the, the various iterations, and it does speak to the power of of open source software and having it available in case something happens to fork. I mean, it's the it's the the power of the license. Uh, the open source license that's involved is is just for this uh, just for this reason. If you want to, or you feel like you need to, you can take the code and do what you want with it. So um, mm. uh, it really speaks to the power of the open source license in this case. 
Mm. Yeah, it definitely does. And um, one of the interesting things I found when I was researching this earlier is that one of the things they've just brought in in uh, version 3.3 is improved support for uh, importing WordPerfect files. And I thought to myself, does anybody still use WordPerfect? Am I out of touch with the rest of the world? I thought WordPerfect had kind of been phased out <laughs> a long time ago. I don't know. Maybe I'm not that I have anything against it. You know, I have nothing against it. It's just that I didn't think anybody still used it. But apparently there are still people out there who really want to open their WordPerfect documents. Well, you know, in, I, uh, I, I still have not. I still have WordPerfect documents that I have not converted over to any other format. I don't okay. know why. One of my original resumes and, and cover letters are, are still in WordPerfect. Um, so I've got those files sitting in my in my uh, uh, documents folder. Um, mm. at home. They're still there. And for whatever reason, I just haven't saved them in anything else. I don't even really need to keep them. But every once in a while, just for, for nostalgia purposes, I like to go back and read them and laugh at myself <laughs> at, at, yeah, at, yeah. at my resume back from, you know, when I just graduated from, from college, how, how silly it looked. Um, mm. But uh, I still have those files. So, you know, the word perfect, uh, as the, again, it's the power of open source is being able to, to do that, having the code available to go back and even even if OpenOffice or LibreOffice now doesn't continue to support WordPerfect, you can always go back and grab the source code when it did and open those files and read them. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of the things that um, uh, we used to talk about at Sun quite a bit is our is you know uh, movies, you know, or, or pictures. You know, I, I save a pic picture today in a, in a format that works today. Twenty years from now, no one may have heard of that format anymore. They don't know what it is, but I can always go back and get open source code compile it, run it, open those files, view my pictures, whatever, and, it, and, and mm. it'll still work. So uh, longevity and, and archiving is, is um, a, a, a real good thing when it comes to open source software. All right, let's move on to uh, one more story, and then we'll get into talking about your um, Ubuntu experience, because I'm really keen. I, I just downloaded mm. the, uh, uh, um, the ISO last, uh, yesterday, um, mm -hmm. And I want to try it out, but I want to hear about your experiences and maybe uh, maybe I'll get to that this afternoon. So before we talk about that real quickly, let's talk about something open source, uh, at least community related, um, although not open source directly. And that is that, uh, you know, some some fairly breaking news here, I guess, for this show, which is that Microsoft Microsoft is buying Skype for eight point five billion dollars. That's billion with a wow. B. Um, and uh, I was kind of shocked at this. Uh, my first thought was that, um, again, this is comes down to a, at a personal level, you know, Oracle bought Sun with all of its mm -hmm. software and hardware, um, uh, 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 you know, came along with it for about $7 billion. And now here, Microsoft in its biggest acquisition ever is buying Skype for $8.5 billion. And uh, I'm a little worried because we do use Skype, for example, for this show and all the shows on the uh, the Twit network. We use Skype because it's you know easy to use and everyone pretty much uh, has it available to them. And I'm kind of worried now that people that aren't running a, um, a Windows operating system or, or otherwise won't be able to run Skype anymore. What do you think, Dan? Mm. Yeah, it's it's a major concern. It's, it's something that um, that I've been hearing a lot today and, and in the last, you know, since yesterday when the news broke. Uh, lots of people wondering if uh, Linux, there'll still be a Linux version of Skype and, you know, the, obviously a Mac version and other things as well. Um, I kind of, uh, my personal opinion and, and uh, well, I, I don't have to worry about disclaiming the fact this isn't my employer's opinion, but there we go. Um, my personal opinion on this is that I think the certainly the Apple version of Skype will not go anywhere because it's so important to um, to Microsoft, they, they they can't get rid of it. I mean, the reason that they have Microsoft Office available on the Mac is because there's a market for it, um, and it's obviously going to be the same for Skype. I would hope that they will keep 
the Linux version going because I believe there's a strong market for that as well because so many people have netbooks and things these days with Ubuntu or whatever it might be on it that they would probably want to use to Skype their granny or whatever it might be. Um, the, I would hope they would keep that going and not kind of get rid of it just for you know ideological reasons. But um, I think I suppose we'll see. Um, as you said, this isn't uh, open source software in any way, Skype, and I suppose this is kind of slightly outside of the bounds of what we normally talk about. But as you said, we're, we're talking via Skype right now, so it's definitely going to have an impact on us. Um, I was interested to read that uh, Steve Barmer, apparently, has, who's the CEO of uh, Microsoft, has been personally pushing this deal as his, um, his baby, if you like. I found that quite interesting. So um, I don't know exactly how it's going to benefit Microsoft, but um, I think you know, they, 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 if they wanted a VoIP solution, then this is probably the one to look at. But um, the strange thing I, I found is that eBay uh, bought Skype all those years ago for, I think it was one point something billion, uh, which at the time we all kind of balked at and said, oh, that's, you know, what an incredible amount of money. And eBay never really, real, never really worked out what to do with it. Um, as far as I could see, the only the only uh, use they had for it was a button on the on the item listings on their auctions, which would say, you know, Skype the seller, and you could click a button and it would would Skype the the seller. Um, I don't think they really had any other use for it. So I'm interested to see what Microsoft are going to do with it and what their intentions are. Um, um, you know, I, I don't think that you know it, they won't have bought it just for the sake of buying it. So uh, I'm interested to see what their strategy is going forward. Yeah, and I'm curious also. I think that the uh, the founders of Skype doubled down on this, right? Because I mean, they mm -hmm. got a, they got pretty big profit when eBay um, bought the, I guess, just the use really of of Skype necessarily, not necessarily the uh, the licenses and and technology behind it. Um, but then it's also reported that they took home another 1.2 billion dollars. Uh, Nicholas Zen Nicholas Zenstrom and uh, Janice Fries, uh, the two co-founders, took home about uh, uh, 1.2 billion dollars. Uh, just from this sale. So, um, <laughs> you know, what do you do? I, I mean, I, I can't imagine the, the, how these guys are feeling right now. It's just like, you know, um, they get to mm. they get to double dip basically on on the on selling this thing twice. <laughs> so yeah, incredibly clever, I would say. Um, however, they did it. I don't know, but I believe at the time eBay didn't realize that they hadn't bought the rights to Skype as well. Um, they'd basically bought a license from from what it turns out these days. I think they'd basically bought a license to use Skype, yep. um, which is interesting because they thought they'd bought the technology and uh, very very clever move by the founders of Skype. Yeah, and it's interesting too how this is this could impact. Of course, there's no no plans have been announced. There's nothing set in stone with this acquisition, but it's interesting how this could impact uh, the mobile phone market, for example. Um, so this is again where it kind of comes back around to competing with free software. Um, you, you, you know, uh, Google hasn't really fully integrated Google Voice with uh, Android yet. You can use Google Voice on Android, but you and you can use it to make phone calls. Um, but not necessarily um, voice over IP calls. Um, mm. So in other words, you can get Google Voice to call your phone and then make the connection with the other phone. That all works great, um, but, but it hasn't really fully integrated voice over IP. And of course, Skype has been heavily targeting uh, the phone, cell phone markets as, as a way to uh, get people to, to save their minutes, right? So use Skype mm. uh, and use your Wi-Fi connection to talk to people instead of using your minutes on your cell phone. Um, and now, so the question is, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with the iPhone? What's going to happen with Android devices? Is this going to be a Windows Phone only service? Are they going to integrate it with Windows Phone somehow? Um, mm. 
And will this kind of force Google's hand into, you know, fully implementing a voice over IP service? Uh, you know, that was one of the things I first thought of is, oh, man, Gizmo just went away and now Skype was bought by Microsoft, you know. Um, mm. So in terms of competitors, I think this is really interesting. Well, will this kind of force Google's hand into develop, getting a little bit more aggressive um, now that they now that there isn't kind of a common third party um, um, to use? The other thing that I thought was really interesting about this in terms of the markets market is that um, uh, Facebook, you know, Microsoft has invested uh, quite heavily at the beginning in Facebook, but people thought they were stupid for, uh, quite frankly, for investing in Facebook back in the day. I think they have 300 million or something like that comes to mind. I uh, can't remember exactly how much it was. Um, but uh, Microsoft is an investor in, uh, oh, so, sorry, I think it was, uh, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, maybe it was 300 million. Anyway. Um, so now uh, the question is, can Facebook pick up the Skype technology? Do they have, do they have uh, rights to do so? I don't know. Can they work that out with Microsoft, pick up the Skype technology and add it as a feature in Facebook, which would be huge, right? I think mm -hmm. uh, I heard Skype had something like 170 million users, uh, which is really big, but, but Facebook has 600 million. And so mm -hmm. if Facebook were to pick this up and integrate it into their software, it would be a huge win for Facebook. So I'm I'm kind of curious to to see what happens in terms of partnerships with other other companies and and what's going to I think it's going to you know it's definitely going to be a fork in the in the road not necessarily a fork in terms of software like we were talking before but a fork in the road when it comes to voice over IP software. Mm. Yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting as you said if um uh, there's the Facebook chat uh, which a lot of people use and um if if they were to have you know a call button on that as well um it could be huge uh, yep. it could be a, it could be a massive thing um it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see um i think you you're right there's there's, there's a lack of um alternatives right now which is a shame as you say gizmo is kind of going away there is uh, I'll, I'll be shot if i don't mention this by all of the free software and open source people that i know there is of course sip which is a completely open protocol and uh, there are lots of sip clients that you can use and there's things like asterisk which is a you know a, a great um, pbx and and voice uh, voice over ip type server and so on um so I, i'll be interested to see how much interest in asterisk and things like that goes up in the wake of this. Uh, it could actually, in some ways, be a good thing for them. Right, right. Okay, so on to Ubuntu. There's still a couple more things we want to talk about before we wrap up today. On to uh, Ubuntu. How is Ubuntu going? Now, obviously, Ubuntu, just to just to kind of set this up, Ubuntu came out with their latest version of, uh, of their operating system, uh, Natty, Natty Narwhal, um, <laughs> I believe yeah. it is. Back in uh, a few weeks ago, they came out with the, this latest... Uh, um, <clears throat> version of Ubuntu, and um, uh, there's some couple couple uh, interesting developments that they made here. One is the user interface itself, uh, which they've gone away from GNOME to a user interface called Unity. And I talked about this a little bit with um, uh, the CEO of of Ubuntu back at Scale, um, you know, and whether she thought this would be, a, you know, is this going to be a huge deal? Is it going to be a problem? Are people going to love it? Of course, her answer was, "Oh, people are going to love it. It's great." But um, but what do you think? Have you have you actually used it, Dan? Sounds like you have. I have, yeah. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to see, but I'm going to try and hold it up to the camera. You probably won't be able to see the screen very well, but this is a, a netbook I've got, which is running the Unity uh, desktop. And uh, oh, I'm opening all kinds of pages there by accident. Uh, it's very, very different. Uh, it's something that... Um, Canonical have Canonical, I should say, just for anyone who doesn't know, are the uh, company behind Ubuntu Linux, and uh, they've been developing this. And it's it's a real kind of shift in in the UI. Uh, it all bases it's all based now around what they're calling the dashboard, which is down the left hand side. It's kind of like a dock, if you like, all of your 
apps that are open and uh, all of your favorite shortcuts, things like file, uh, you know, file and folder searches and so on, are in this um, this dashboard, which is on the, the left-hand side. And um, it's it has a few problems, for me anyway, in that um, it, being a kind of a doc, it tries to hide itself when you go full screen with a program. And uh, sometimes when you're just trying to scroll down a page or just do something, it'll pop up when you don't really want it to. Um, unfortunately, but uh, I have to say I, I'm very impressed with how far they've come. Considering a year ago, Unity didn't really exist at all. Um, it's quite a major shift away, um, and everything uh, you know, everything that they've done has been very impressive. Um, I do actually quite like some of the features they've got. Like I'll attempt to show you this. Here we go. I don't know if you can see. You get these big desktop icons on there. It's very much a, a simplified, um, a more simplified interface. And you can search and filter. You start typing the name of the application that you want to use, and then it will filter through. Same for files and folders and uh, email, stuff like that, uh, which is, is quite interesting. Um, I think uh, in terms of um, usability, it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a big change if you if you haven't used a uh, a computer before. If that makes any sense. If you haven't used, you know, uh, if anybody listening to this hasn't used a computer, you know what I mean. If you if you haven't if you have friends or family or relatives, whoever, who aren't particularly invested in say the Windows UI or the Mac UI or whatever, um, then they would probably find this a lot easier to uh, get to grips with. In that um, you know, in that it's it's very different, and they wouldn't have to relearn all of the things that they thought they'd learn. Um, and it, it is very interesting. One of the major uh, concerns for me uh, in this, which I've, I've expressed to a few of the Ubuntu developers, and I think, uh, to give them credit, they, they are kind of taking this in, in mind, is um, the lack of accessibility features at the moment. Um, it's very much taken a back seat. And by accessibility, I mean things like screen readers, magnification, um, things for sight-impaired users or, you know, um, any any kind of uh, disabled users that within GNOME, which was the uh, the main desktop before, GNOME is still there underneath, but uh, it's kind of hidden away. And when you click on the file uh, files and folders link, it will occasionally bring up a Nautilus uh, GNOME file manager thing. So you can kind of tell it's still there. Right, and that's there. kind of what, that's kind of one of the yeah. things I wanted to clarify because people say, "Oh, GNOME is gone. GNOME is gone," but it's really not gone. Mm. It's just the it's just the user interface that that's on top of GNOME. Uh, the GNOME user interface is, is has changed, but but GNOME, the, all the all the underlying applications and programs and glue that tie it all together, that's still there, right? Yeah, I mean the libraries and everything else are still there underneath, um, and uh, yeah, as you say, that I think it's it's all essentially just like a facade in front of the GNOME desktop is how I would describe it. Um, it's kind of like a uh, yeah, it's it's sat on top of your GNOME desktop. Uh, unfortunately, there's no easy way to get back to, if you decide that if you install it's a, it's a bold decision in that if you install Ubuntu 11.04 and you can't stand Unity, um, there's no easy way to go back to GNOME. They they haven't put that in. Uh, I think consciously because they want people to use Unity, which is quite a brave decision because if there are lots of users who prefer the traditional GNOME 2 desktop, um, then they're going to uh, they're going to feel a little left left out to dry. Um, I believe recently Canonical came out and announced that they would make a route back to GNOME for people who want it. Uh, so that's quite a major uh, change of heart for them. Uh, so it could be interesting. But um, yeah, the other thing is GNOME 3 is also on the horizon. Um, the, the GNOME desktop that we kind of know and use now, most of us anyway, is uh, GNOME 2, which has been around a long time. And GNOME 3 has been on the horizon for quite a while. Um, distributions like Fedora, uh, the new Fedora, which is coming out soon, Fedora 15, uh, that ships with GNOME 3 desktop. And GNOME 3 is much more like 
Um, like Unity, it's it's got a dashboard, it's got all these other things going on. Um, I I haven't used it much. I need to kind of get into that. But um, yeah, it's it's very much a shift in the in the desktop. I think in some ways it's it's going to be a brilliant idea. <laughs> in hindsight, we'll we'll know how it works out, obviously. But it could either be a genius move in that it's different to everything else, or it could be a terrible move in that people say it's different to everything else. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't want to know. Um, so I think we'll find out as time goes on. Right. Right. Um, okay, so we're almost out of time. I guess we didn't have to worry about what to talk about today. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up um, is uh, Google I.O., which is happening right now in San Francisco, um, mm. which is, of course, the, the conference that, that talks about uh, kind of a developer conference for Google, um, all the Google software applications and especially Android and things like that. Um, I don't know if you had time to catch the the keynote yesterday. I watched it because I was kind of curious as to what, if if anything, they would announce. They actually had some pretty big announcements. Um, and because Android actually is open source software, I want to talk about some of them. One of them in particular is the ability to run, um, uh, to to have Android operator, at least in Honeycomb, which, which pretty much means tablets, but I believe this is going to be rolled out going forward, um, is to have Android operate as a USB host. Um, mm. And what this means is that you can plug in game controllers, you can plug in um, theoretically printers, anything that you, any any um, you know endpoint keyboards, things like that that you would typically plug into your computer via USB to make them work. You'll now be able to plug into Android. Now, obviously, not everything will be supported, but in my mind, I don't know if this is accurate or not because I don't, I haven't talked to anybody since the keynote yesterday. But in my mind, what this is all enabled by the Linux kernel. Because the Linux kernel, typically, I know Android runs a stripped-down uh, uh, Linux kernel, but the Linux kernel has these drivers built into it. So, um, and especially for older type um, accessories, I always recommend, like, for example, I've got a scanner. Um, it's a Canon scanner. And when Windows 7 came out, it didn't recognize the scanner anymore. There was no Windows drivers for it. So every time I go to run this scanner, of course, I'm running in Linux because Linux uh, has these drivers for this scanner um, and they're still still in the Linux kernel, and there's no reason that they should ever take them out. So, um, so in terms of comparing operating systems, Windows and Linux, the the whole reason that uh, Android can do this uh, theoretically, anyway, like I said, I have no proof, but because these drivers are already in Linux, all they have to do is expand the Linux kernel to include these drivers, and you know they have support for for thousands and thousands of uh, of these hardware devices. So. Um, I, I thought that was very interesting news. That's something that they could have done a long time ago if they wanted to, but of course it it does bring up certain support issues. Like I said, things may not work properly. Um, certain certain drivers for certain uh, peripherals are, are not supported in Linux because no one's you know, just taking the time to go out and write a driver or get a driver for them. So mm -hmm. not not everything um, seemingly will work, but you know it, it it also expands the whole platform dramatically when you compare it to something like um, an Apple iPhone or iPad. Um, which does not allow you to plug third-party um, devices unless they're officially supported through the through the uh, Apple interface, the Apple uh, proprietary interface. Um, you know, it doesn't allow you to 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 plug those peripherals in. And now you can you can do that with Android. At least you can try. You can have a better camera. You can. They were showing off yesterday um, the ability to. Uh, this is this is another thing that they announced, which is uh, I forget what they call it, but the ability to have an uh, inter interoperate with external devices. Uh, via a special platform. Um, I, again, I forget what they call it. I should look it up. But basically, um, what was it? Android. Android at Home. No, not Android at Home. It was the other one that they had the Arduino. Uh, um, oh, right, the ADK. 
Yeah, ADK. I forget what they call it. But anyway, so so they, they announced the ability to inter interoperate with um, uh, this thing called the ADK, and they demonstrated this by uh, uh, having some guy get on a treadmill or an exercise bike, right? And uh, and he would he would connect via USB cable uh, to this uh, this exercise bike, and it, he would actually program what he wanted to do on his phone. And when he plugged in the phone, the exercise bike would start, and he would actually play a game on his phone uh, along with his exercise routine. That you know, the faster he would pedal, he would make a little Android guy go up and down and through a maze or whatever. Um, so so I thought that was really interesting it, it, too. Um, uh, and again, the fact that they were using Arduino. Uh, on an Arduino board as the reference device for uh, to make this this thing work again uh, open source talking about open source hardware now um, was really really interesting so those two things specifically I thought were uh, probably the most the most interesting to me in terms of open source uh, in terms of how they were making this work it, did you did you catch any of those developments mm. by any chance um, I didn't actually I mean I I, uh, I saw a little bit of it but um, I'm not. Uh, as, as fully up on it. But what I find interesting about the whole USB host thing is it, it seems like a clear move towards um, more of a desktop OS, if you like, because my phone runs out of power most of the time as it is anyway. Now, my Android phone. So I can't imagine that I'm going to want to plug many devices into that and, like, you know, charge them or power them off my phone because the battery's already quite taxed. Um, but I do find it interesting that maybe it's a sign that Android is going to move more towards a full... We've got tablets, which are on the horizon. I mean, there's lots of Android tablets coming out now. Um, but maybe even a move to a more full uh, desktop OS, if you like, which could be really interesting in future. Right, absolutely. And they said that these, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, enhancements were also being added, especially the host I.O. part, to Google TV, for example, um, which brings up a whole mm. lot of possibilities for me in terms of gaming. You know, the fact that I could possibly, uh, uh, you know, with the next generation of Google TV devices, use it as a gaming console uh, mm -hmm. as well, just on my TV or my device that's connected to my TV. Um, you know, if I can hook up a, a little gaming console um, and, and play games right on the TV, then that actually increases the likelihood that I would buy one of those devices anyway, because now I've got mm -hmm. functionality that's kind of all tied together. I don't have to go to multiple devices to access that. Mm -hmm. So uh, anyway, pretty interesting stuff going on in terms of, uh, in terms of Google IO. Okay. I think that about wraps it up. Anything that I'm forgetting, Dan, we've got a couple minutes. Left. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, very quickly, just, just reacting to some of the chat in the, in the chat room there. Um, people were just mentioning the fact that when I was talking about GNOME 3 and the desktop, I said it wasn't released yet. Technically, uh, the GNOME desktop, GNOME 3 is actually released, but uh, no major Linux distributions have, have come out with it yet. I think Fedora is going to be the first one. So just uh, I don't want to mislead people on that point. And people are also pointing out you can get GNOME 3 on your current, you know, if you've got a Linux desktop or whatever, you can get yourself a copy of GNOME 3 and install it. But if you're really interested to try it out, best thing to do is probably get yourself a live CD. They've got two, uh, there's an OpenSUSE and a Fedora live CD. There's two options on the website there. If you Google for GNOME 3 or use a search engine of your choice, then you will find them there. And uh, I think that, yeah, that's that pretty much covers it. I just wanted to clear that up. Okay, great. And uh, so I guess that about wraps it up here. Before we go, we should also uh, tell people what's coming up next. Dan, I know you've been working on that in terms of what's coming up next on, on Floss Weekly on future episodes. So what have we got? Yeah, uh, next week um, I've uh, I've arranged an interview with uh, Sam Spilsbury, who works on uh, Compiz, which is the 3D uh, window manager, uh, it's been around a long time now. I've been using Compass since about 2006, I think. Um, and uh, he's at the Ubuntu Developers Summit, which is happening right now in, in Budapest in Hungary. 
and uh, he's uh, he's there at the moment kind of talking to them and what I'm really interested in is the fact that we've talked about this already with Unity and so on and Gnome 3 coming on board that um, people seem to be moving away from Compiz because they want uh, you know their uh, 3D effects and stuff is already built into things like GNOME 3 and uh, and Unity and so on. So I, I'm really interested to know how he's what he's doing at, at UDS and uh, how this is how is going to happen going forward. So we've got him coming up next week. It's going to be really interesting. Um, I haven't actually looked at the rest of the guest list, so I have to apologise. But I think Randall's going to be back next week for that one as well. So that should be really interesting. Okay, great. Uh, that'll be exciting. Randall is coming back. He's just been gone for a few weeks. So if you're if you're really missing uh, <laughs> Randall on Floss, don't worry. He will mm. be back reporting from some high building or some strange place, I'm sure. So, mm. um, uh, so just as a reminder, if you want to find out more about what I'm working on or what I'm doing, you can go to thesourceshow.org, which is my other podcast that I do very infrequently these days. But I, I am, <laughs> I am working on stuff. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'll be down at. Uh, Maker Fair, get recording some things there. So if you can't make it, you can always tune into my podcast to find out what the most interesting things are at uh, Maker Fair. Um, and you can also go to Aaron Newcomb on Twitter, Aaron Newcomb on Facebook, or AaronNewcomb.com uh, for kind of a combination of all those sites. Find out what's going on so you can keep track of what I'm doing there. Dan, where can people find out what you're up to? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously there's uh, Linux Outlaws. I'm wearing the proudly sporting the T-shirt today, uh, which is a weekly Linux uh, podcast about uh, Linux and also other open source and, and free software. Uh, you can find that at Linux out, linuxoutlaws.com, if I can say it properly. Uh, you can also uh, check out all the stuff I'm doing, uh, various other podcasts and music and, and all kinds of stuff uh, at danlynch.org. And you can find links to Twitter and Identica and all those kind of things on there. Um, and one thing I was very quickly going to mention as well is uh, we, we're doing another uh, OG camp, which is our, um, our uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. It's our kind of free software, open source, and also free culture and you know, wider community type uh, event. Uh, it's the third year we're running it. And uh, we're, we're having a much bigger venue this year. We've got some really exciting sponsors that we're going to talk about soon. Tickets have been flying out the door. We had 300 taken in the first couple of weeks, uh, which is great. So um, we're actually going to get more tickets soon. But for anybody who's in the UK, if you want to find out more about it, you can go to ogcamp.org, which is O-G-G. Uh, CAMP.org and uh, find out more, keep an eye on it, find out more tickets. It's going to be on the 13th and 14th of August and it's in uh, Farnham Maltings, which is a former brewery, I believe, uh, or a, a, a distillery, I should say, Maltings and so on. Um, so very interesting. It's in. A, it's going to be near London in the UK, so it should be hopefully very easy to get to. So if you want to find out more about that, head over to ogcamp.org. And I think that's all of my various plugs for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're busy. And definitely if you're in the UK, definitely mm. check out that conference. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I wish I could be there, but uh, I don't think I'm going to have time to fly over right now. Mm. So anyway, all right. Thanks for hosting with me today, Dan. I really appreciate Randall again, as I said, we'll be back next week. And until then, thanks for joining us on Floss Weekly.